0: Very grateful for all the hard work our choir and music teams are putting for this Holy Week and their leadership today and all the way through Holy Week, certainly building up to the great Easter celebration next Sunday. We're thinking about palms and processionals today. Why do we have such things? Not all Christian worship services begin with a processional, but they should, in my humble opinion. Uh, did you know in the early church, worshipers, both clergy and laity, would gather outside on the portico or on the lawn like we did uh, between services today. They would gather out there, and when the bells tolled, marking the time for worship, the acolyte, the crucifer, would, would raise the cross, the torches would be lit, they would process into the presence of the holy followed by the congregation and the officiants and the Word of God and the elements for Holy Communion. Uh, Due to time constraints and seating logistics and differences in liturgy, uh, many traditions have discarded the processional aspect of worship altogether, Plus, uh, during the Protestant Reformation, it was thought to be too Catholic uh, and not word-centric enough for Protestant uh, churches. But, you know, we're Methodists, so we say, hey, let's do both, right? Um, There's tremendous power in a weekly processional. It, It marks time differently. It calls us together in the presence of God. It orients us to the Holy and when we process in behind the cross and the light of Christ, we, at the conclusion of worship, we process right back out into the world following where the cross will lead us and where the light of Christ will take us. There's other implications of worship processionals. Paul told the church in Corinth uh, when he wrote, But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphant procession. In other words, Christ is always leading us in a processional somewhere. In this world. And the processional is, I mean, it's far more than than pageantry, although I do recall a time several years ago, we host the ordination service for the Alabama West Florida Conference right here. And Jillian and I have been ordained right here. We've, we've knelt, and a bishop has laid hands on our heads and said, Take thou authority. Lucas will be doing so. Uh, but in order to kneel and to be ordained, one has to have a kneeler. <laughs> on which to kneel and to be ordained, well, that part was left out of the service. But because we're so good at processionals, on that night, the associates threw it on their shoulders and processed it in like it was the Ark of the Covenant as if God himself had ordained it that way. I'm so glad that tradition did not remain. That thing is so heavy. The first Palm Sunday included a processional. There was a lot of fanfare. But there was more than one processional, actually, and you know this, entering on one side of the holy city was a Roman processional with all of its pomp and pageantry and drumbeats and the military marches, hup, and the call to arms. And the idea was to signal the power of the empire and that Caesar was the only lord, and that the only true peace comes by force and compliance with the government. On the other side was a processional of the lambs to be slaughtered for Passover. But then coming down from the Mount of, of Olives, from Bethany, where this costly, fragrant nard was poured out on the feet of Jesus, it was this carpenter's son from Nazareth, to whom people were shouting, Hosanna! Hosanna! It's political statement. Deliver us from that government. Deliver us from the powers of this world. Deliver us back to Davidic royalty. And they believed in that so much that they began waving something as inconsequential as a palm. Although, the palm is the emblem of David's royal dynasty. It's part of the covenant with the people of God That they would have a temple, they would have a place, they would have a location. And here they come to celebrate Passover. And here come the lambs. And here comes Rome. And it's a convergence of all of these shouts and all of this noise and so much chaos. And it's the convergence of different kinds of kingdoms. The kingdoms that we create for ourselves in this world. The ones we want to control and manipulate and hold so tightly to in the kingdom of God. That came in on the back of a borrowed colt. Wasn't even his own. Amid all of that came Jesus, who said that peace would come through suffering and the laying down not of royal palms, but of power and ego and self for the sake of others. Two kingdoms collided in Jerusalem on the first Palm Sunday. I want you to hold on to those images for a minute and think about the final part of the Lord's Prayer. We conclude that series today. And the part that is the end of the very end of the Lord's Prayer, not original to Matthew or Luke, uh, the part that is, that is um, secondary is a doxology. It comes from a second century instructional manual called the Didache, and it was the church that, that adopted it and said, at the end of the Lord's Prayer, the Mattheon and the Lucan version, we're going to add this phrase, for thine is the kingdom, say it with me, the power and the glory forever. Right. That part was added in the, in the second century. It's not completely unfounded in, in Scripture, as King David, coincidentally, was doing some long-range worship planning, we might say. He prayed a prayer. It would have been so easy to say, Lord, you gave us Jerusalem, you gave us the temple, you've, you've restored the Ark of the Covenant back here. You've, you know, we're here, we have all the money and wealth and power in the world. But David prayed a prayer back in Chronicles. It said, yours, Lord, is greatness and power and glory and majesty and splendor. Everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. That's very akin to, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. So we have this traditional ending given to us by the church, intended to be a daily rhythm for living. And I want us to think about Palm Sunday processionals, waving palms, competing loyalties, and then praying a prayer every single week, ideally every single day, where we say, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. What's happening is the lines, the demarcated lines are drawn. And we say things like, to whom will God's people be loyal? Well, it depends on what you mean by, for thine is the kingdom. In what processional line will God's people march? Well, it depends on how you say, for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory. And when asked how to pray, Jesus told his disciples to pray this way. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What's the next line? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. The prayer opens, thy kingdom come, it closes, for thine is the kingdom. Why all this kingdom language in one prayer? I think that Jesus... And the early church knew how tempted we are every day to create kingdoms for ourselves, golden calves that we're willing to bow down to. We declare any number of Caesars to be Lord, even if we declare ourselves that Caesar from time to time. So Palm Sunday quickly Changes and shifts into Passion Sunday in the very same worship service, and there's tension. Because now what we're talking about is a different kind of palm, friends. We're not talking about these right now. We're talking about what are you going to do with your palms? To what will you cling so tightly in this world? And to what will you release to God? You know how we don't say the prayer that the Lord taught us? We don't say, for mine is the kingdom, mine is the power, and mine is the glory. We say in worship, for thine is the kingdom. And what we're doing is we're making this shift during Lent, slowing down to read this prayer line by line, to make it a part of our our daily rhythm, our breathing, our respiration, our spiritual respiration. We're praying it because we're trying so hard to make a shift from mine to thine. my kingdom to thy kingdom. Thy kingdom come, not my kingdom come. Every time we pray this prayer, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, there's a collision of things that are processing in our lives. There's a tension between the Palm Sunday Hosanna and the Good Friday crucify him because we want Jesus to rescue us, to deliver us in the way and at the time and exactly how we want to be rescued. So there's this, this whole dance that we do between the God we need and the God we want. Mine and thine. The Lord's Prayer is the Christian Pledge of Allegiance, someone said. And when we pray, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, we are pledging our allegiance to God. Sometimes people want to keep politics and religion separately from one another, and we have laws to ensure that that happens. But how do we make sense of that when our task is today is thinking about the kingdoms of this world, the governments of this world? You Think about Isaiah. The government shall be on his shoulders, and his name will be called what? Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father. So, Jesus brings this admonition of loyalty to become agents of the kingdom of God, a kingdom that is founded so differently. The building blocks are so different. They're the blocks of self sacrifice and forgiveness and mercy. And so, what Jesus does is he pushes up against the church and the state people say Jesus went political. Okay. Someone shared a reflection about this, about the state of the church over the past 2 years. We've we've not trained ourselves, prepared ourselves for the politics that we've experienced, the pandemic that we've experienced, all the divisiveness. And the church has been asked to come up with answers on on all of that, with riots and, and so many other things. And we don't have answers. We haven't prepared ourselves because we, we've hopped into a different kind of processional line than we should have been in. And someone said about the church, Big C, Big Church, over the past two years, by saying a lot of people left their church because of politics, but how many left their politics because the church? Woo! I started fanning myself when I heard that. And I started thinking about this first century rabbi from Galilee riding down a hill on a colt that he didn't own and people shouting, Hosanna, rescue us, take us back to when things were good. Take us back to how David had it for us. You know that kingdom stuff, Lord. Put the ark back there. Make it the center of the universe again. And Rome's over here just steady with the drums waiting on someone to do something. They're marching in place. People of God are waving. In place, And Jesus has always just pushed against church or the people of God and the state, the people of the government. He, he's done that. Sabbath is not made for man. Man is made for the Sabbath. Enjoy it. Don't start poking holes in all these rules, finding fault with people, you religious leaders. And don't forget to draw your circle wide because the, the woman at the well and the woman who was hemorrhaging and the man on the mat, yeah, they get in too. They got a place too, regardless of what the laws might say at this point. I haven't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And he pushes up against uh, the the state, too. Do you know that the the gospel reading for tomorrow, for Holy Week, is the first act of Jesus when he came riding into the city of Jerusalem, Jerusalem. He went into the temple. He went into the house of God. And he got really angry because it looked more like Wall Street and an open-air market than it did a place of worship. So he made a little whip, and I just kind of envisioned that he sort of wet the end of it, you know. Started running people out of the temple of God and flipping over tables and and running out the financiers and money flying everywhere. He disrupted the political system, too. He had said earlier, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And here this was this inequality of a financial exchange happening in God's house. So amid all the chaos, all the celebrations, Jesus pushes against the people of God. He pushes against the people in power in the government and says that's not the way forward. He comes riding between them. And I think one of the biggest travesties of Palm Sunday and Passion Sunday People missed it. They didn't understand why. What seems like a routine and glossed over processional each week in our own worship service, coupled with the Lord's Prayer for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, it suddenly becomes this sort of mechanism of defiance against the kingdoms and power structures that we we create because the role of the church is to speak into all the chaos by saying, Thine be the kingdom, not mine. How does it look to make that shift this Holy Week? It's here. It's heralded by a processional of a homeless teacher on the back of a colt that's carrying a very powerful and powerless Messiah to Jerusalem. And all he's ever said is, if you'll just follow me, I'll lead you. Where, and what we like to say is, where he leads me, I will follow sometimes. Or part of the time. Or if it's convenient. Or if everyone else is going. steps Jesus is taking in his final days on this earth are steps to a cross. And what I don't want you to miss this week, I don't want you to make the leap, please don't make the leap from Palm Sunday to Easter without sitting through the Last Supper and the New Covenant, the New Commandment, Without sitting through the seven last words that Jesus will say from the cross on Good Friday and, and how the place will lie in darkness. Don't miss the opportunity to sit through the silence of Holy Saturday. Because if we go to from Palm Sunday to Easter and we don't, God, we don't embrace and follow Jesus in between. What are we saying? What are we missing in our human condition? When we say we're just going to go from Hosanna to He is risen and we're not willing to sit with the pain and the hardship, Jesus says, Follow me. It's easy to say, Thine is the kingdom on Sunday and to live, Mine is the kingdom between Sundays. This Holy Week, may we be so bold to follow Jesus down a mountain, into the city, to an upper room, and then all the way to Calvary, where the kingdom of heaven is best displayed. Because in a few days, he's, he's going to die like this, as widely as he could spread his arms to say, I love you, forgive, I forgive you, I want to be with you and I'm willing to rescue you in this way. Don't miss it. Where he leads me, I will follow. I'll go with him, with him all the way. You want to sing it with me? Where he leads me, I will follow. Our hymn of invitation is number 278. I would invite you as you're able to stand as we sing together our hymn of invitation.